the world's population. That just blows my mind when I uh, found that out. Now let's uh, take, at the, take a look at uh, Facebook by the numbers. Uh, 229 friends is the average. I don't feel bad if you don't have that many friends. All you have to do is go into people. You know, they give you all kinds of suggestions, and you can be up to 229 by tonight. I just send those invitations out, and, you know, if you're half decent, if you're not a criminal, uh, you know, haven't hurt them in some personal way, they'll probably accept you, all right? 26% users like a status per day. That's the average user. So if you're an average user, uh, 26% are going to like somebody's status. Like, oh, that's cool. 22% of the users post their status. They actually say something. I was on it last night. I don't use Facebook a lot, like any tool. It, it's really fun. It's great. But at the same time, it could be dangerous. So that's another uh, conversation. But uh, it's like, how's it going, Dan? How are you feeling, Dan? What are you doing, Dan? Now, who's asking me these questions? Well, a computer is asking me these questions just to get me kind of to share. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking people really don't care what I'm doing. They don't care how I'm feeling. And they don't care what, where I'm going. I mean, really, that's, that's reality. I'll just lay it out there for you, okay? <laughs> it, it's interesting to, to some degree, but uh, I found that kind of humorous as I actually looked at what they put in that little box. Uh, then it goes on to say uh, 20... 2% users post status, uh, where they say what's going on in their life. 52% uh, visit daily. Okay, so half of the people that use Facebook actually check in once a day. And the average age is around 40. So it started out with the kids, and then we kind of took it over. <laughs> and said, hey, this is fun. And my wife and my sons use it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. Uh, but, but let's just think about this, all right? Let's say that uh, uh, 7 o'clock at night, your washer breaks you down, and you put a post up there and say, can I come over to your house to do my laundry? How would people respond to that? How many would like that status? How can you like that? <laughs> I think it'd just, this would be fun to do as an experiment. I challenge somebody to do that. This is you know, kind of just to see. Oh, it was just a joke. Just wanted to see how you guys would respond. <laughs> or say, hey, listen, I've got to run out. It's an emergency. Who can come over and watch my kids? Or to say, I need a loan of $500. <laughs> now, you might have some smart outlets. I don't know. But how many people are actually going to respond to those types? of requests. Well, friends, we all know that the idea of friending someone on Facebook has diluted the beautiful description of what friendship is all about. And we know it when we see it. And it's not friending on Facebook. Now, typically, if you put one of those requests out there, your true friends, if they happen to see it, are going to respond to you. So let's not be confused about what a true friend is. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our series on Ecclesiastes, uh, Wisdom for Daily Life, studying book written by Solomon, and talking just about the nature of life and how life is really meaningless uh, without God. When we talk about this whole area of relationships. We really have to go back to the very, very beginning. When we look in Genesis and, and God... Uh, was in perfect relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is one, but three parts, a great mystery, but they had a perfect relationship. God didn't need another relationship, but he wanted to be in relationship with us. It was his desire. Uh, so he created Adam and he created all the animals and it was just a beautiful existence, but there was one thing that was missing. We see it in Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So uh, he created Eve. Great idea, God. Way to go. And because uh, man should not be alone. Two are better than one. We need each other. God built that within us, that need to want to connect with other people. 
have our needs met through other people. Now, he had the only perfect marriage that has ever existed in this world with Adam and Eve. And, of course, they chose to sin. And sin uh, gave us that sinful nature that infects pretty much everything that we do. And it certainly impacts our relationship, and that's what we're going to be uh, exploring uh, today. In fact, when you think about the first two kids, Cain and Abel, it impacted their relationship so much that Cain killed Abel. That's about as bad as it can get, right? I can't stand you so much, I'm going to kill you. So certainly it impacts all of our relationships, no matter what type of relationship it might be. So let's take a look at what uh, Solomon has to say in Ecclesiastes 4.4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. A striving after the wind. What is this saying? So he's saying all toil, that means work, any type of project you're involved in, whether you're getting paid for it or you're not getting paid for it, you're doing something at home, all toil and the skill that we use to do it come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity. Remember the word hevel 38 times in Ecclesiastes. Uh, 12 chapters, it's mentioned quite a bit. It means meaningless. It's all meaningless, he's saying. And a striving after the wind, chasing after the wind, chasing after all the things the world says will bring us satisfaction instead of chasing after Jesus. Now, he says, come from a man's envy of his neighbor. So if someone were to ask you, why do you like to go to work? Would you say, well, I'm really envious of my neighbor and I want to earn more money so can I ha so I can have the stuff that they have. I don't think anybody probably has responded to a question like that, but that's what he's saying. One of the reasons we go to work is to get stuff so because we're envious of what our neighbor has. We're coveting it. And we say, I want that. I should have that. And, and it's so much a part of our daily life and relationships as we talk to people and, and, and for example, men, let's say that your neighbor or friend at church here gets a brand new 2013 and you fill in the blank. What's the one car or truck that you dream of that you have on your wall? <laughs> I want that vehicle. <laughs> and uh, they drive up in it. And it tells us to rejoice with our Brothers who rejoice, and uh, you're not rejoicing. No, you're thinking, what? How did he get that car or truck that I wanted so much? And instead of saying, I am full of envy, I think I'm starting to turn green right now, what do we do instead? We judge that person. We say, how do they think they can afford that? They must be mismanaging their money. I'm they're not tithing to the church, giving to the Lord. They're doing that type of thing, right? We judge people when we're envious of them. We are so quick to point out the sins in other people's lives, but we forget how black our heart is. Even though we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ and He's forgiven us of all our sins, our, our heart is still black with sin. It is deceitful in all ways. And we don't want to recognize that. We want to think, oh, yeah, we're pretty good. We struggle with some sins. But, friends, once you open yourself to the Scripture and the Holy Spirit and you listen to messages and you study His Word, you realize how black it is. But you got to stop and think about it. In fact, uh, I've been enjoying sending out these daily offices every week. And we encourage you to spend that time alone with God every day. And what I'm doing is I'm just sending out daily offices based upon uh, what we talk about on Sunday. And if you haven't been receiving those but like to receive those, uh, you can circle number three on uh, next steps and we can send those out to you. And uh, what it does, it gives you an opportunity to meditate on the things we talk about. I mean, I can talk about, okay, guys, think about envy. You think, oh, that might be a possibility. But really, really, to let God speak to you, you've got to get alone in a daily office and think about envy. Okay, where 
this envy enter in to my relationships and let the Holy Spirit point those things out because that's what he's there for. And then to confess that sin, claim the power of Christ to overcome that sin. So again, I encourage you to sign up for the daily office because as we move through this material so quickly, it will give you the rest of the week to process through it and really start to think about, do I have envy impacting uh, my relationships? Uh, another thing is the, the subtlety of uh, envy. For example, many times, uh, <clears throat> because of our sinfulness, we tend to, to distance ourselves from people that we're envious of. So, for example, let's say that somebody is really successful in an area that we would like to be successful in. Well, sometimes we, we'll go out of our way not to talk to that person. Because when we do talk to that person, we're envious of them. We feel bad about ourselves, and therefore it's best just not to expose ourselves to them. Instead of rejoicing in their success, that's a supernatural thing to do, and you would like to be as successful as they are. Maybe a person is really attractive, and in your mind you don't think you're that attractive, so you distance yourself from that person. Maybe a person's really intelligent, or whatever it is that you are envious of. And what happens is it just reinforces the envy in your life, and instead of dealing with the root cause of that envious root in your heart and uprooting that and being content with who you are and what you have and what you look like or whatever it is. You see what I'm saying here? We don't even, we don't even pick up on how envious we really are. And here Solomon is saying, hey, you know, what drives many of you to go to work every day is to get the stuff that your neighbors have because you're envious of it. I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to you on that one. All right, move on to verse 5. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Now, you don't want to take this literally. <laughs> got a bite out of your arm. Yeah, that it would be foolish. But this is uh, speaking of someone who's lazy. This is many times mentioned in Proverbs, these same type of uh, phrases. Uh, this is somebody who's just lazy, and so they eat their own flesh. They become self-absorbed. They waste their lives, that person who is lazy. And many of us, uh, you know, I mean, how many <laughs> had the, the thought this past week, I'm lazy. I'm a lazy person. We, we, we don't think about ourselves as lazy people. We think other people are lazy. We think our kids <laughs> are lazy sometimes. Uh, we, uh, we, we think about people who are you know, in the government dole, you know, and they're, they're not taking, not working, not trying to find a job, just taking a paycheck, and we can go on and on about that. No, I'm not lazy. What are we? We're not lazy. It's a B word. What is it? Busy, that's right. Way to go. We're busy. Yeah, I mean, have you met a person who's not busy? Have you had someone come up to you and say, I'm just looking for something to do. I just got some free time. you have any ideas? You know, no, we're busy. I have arguments with my wife sometimes about who is busier. <laughs> I'm more stressed than you. No, I'm more stressed than you. I mean, and again, you look at other people's lives and they say they're busy and you don't say it. You, say, you, you don't know what busy means. You have no idea. I mean, stress. You're, you're, you're kind of stressed. You're a weak person. I'm a strong person. And I know what stress is all about. I'm busy. The last thing I am is lazy. You're a liar. <laughs> because we're all lazy in different ways. We're lazy in relationships, what I'm talking about today. I mean, we can pick and choose what we want to be busy with, and that's where the laziness comes in. We don't give the full attention that we need to to different areas of our life, and we're lazy in those areas because we think these areas are more important. And so we work ourselves to death because we're envying our neighbor and we're lazy in taking care of the things that are so important in our lives. But we're lazy in relationships. And this really is what we see happening in the United States. It's a cocooning of a culture. And it's happened over the last uh, 30 years. And it's the idea 
that we are more and more drawn to our homes. And it's all about our homes, the technology we have in our homes, the TV, the computer, Facebook. Studies have been done that show that attendance at church, attendance in other organizations, the Rotary, whatever it might be, involvement in those type of things, the number of restaurants that you can go to uh, these days has gone down because people are cocooning. They're cocooning. That They're moving away from relationships. One study said that the average of meaningful relationships in the last, I don't know, 30 years has gone from three to two. So now, on the average, people have two relationships where they can talk about things that matter. That really defines a friendship, where you can sit down with somebody and talk about what really is in your heart. It's a very dangerous trend. And it doesn't seem to be uh, turning around at all. So uh, we need to be uh, afraid of this. And, and, and that's what I love about church. That's what I love about this wonderful family that we have, is that this is a place where you can come and cultivate relationships. There are so many opportunities to cultivate relationships. And I know many of you are lonely out there. Loneliness is rampant in our society because we're cocooning and we don't have real relationships that feed us uh, on the deepest level. And, and you might say, well, I'm so lonely. And, and I can understand, I could probably list all the reasons, the barriers that are keeping you from reaching out. And I won't do that now, but all I'm saying is if you're lonely, uh, you need to take the step. You, you need to be proactive in getting involved in other relationships. And you need to overcome the barriers that you have in terms of getting to know other people. And, oh, we have so many opportunities here. Uh, let me just go through a few. All right. You know, I'm lonely. We'll come out this afternoon. Discovering Springbrook, our membership seminar. From 3 to 6, you can hang out with a bunch of wonderful people and hear more about our ministry and other ways you can get involved and cultivate uh, relationships. We've got that going on. Well, what about Monday night? Oh, well, Monday night, we've got our leadership gatherings every night, 7 to 8.30, where we're going to get together, we're going to laugh, we're going to have fun, we're going to talk about what's going on in our new ministry season as we move into the winter. Uh, exciting announcement. Uh, come on out. Come out to every meeting. I don't care. Meet different people here at Springbrook. You don't have to be a leader. Just come out to find out what's going on and meet some of our wonderful leaders, and they'll help you get connected, right? Or you're saying, nobody's invited me out yet to a Super Bowl party. I'm waiting for the invitation. I hear about all these parties. Everybody's got a party to go to, but nobody said, will you come to my party? I'm inviting you to my party, okay? So you cannot say nobody invited you to a Super Bowl party. You're coming to my party if you choose to, if you take the initiative, if you move past your fears to the power of Christ. You come here, and we're going to have a good time. I command you to have a good time. We're going to have pizza for a small fee. You bring a dish, and we've got these huge screens. Nobody, ha Tell me if somebody has a screen in your, in your uh, uh, network of relationships that's this big. Huh? you got two of them, and we've got activities for children. Read about it in uh, your program. Uh, you'll see it there on the gray sheet. You have been officially invited out, and you can tell people at work, I, I'm invited out to a Super Bowl party. I matter. People care about me. That's what the church is all about. And uh, then, well, you might say, well, nobody invites me out to breakfast. Well, oh, we've got an invitation for you. We've got our men's breakfast in two weeks on Saturday, and Pastor Rich will be speaking on uh, courage. It's also there on the gray insert uh, from 7 to 8.30. Men, come on out. I don't have any relationships. Come on out. That's how you start relationships is by initially getting to know other men. Take that step. And then you say, well, what about the Sunday after that? We've got the annual meeting you can come out to, okay? And that's just a great time to celebrate what God is doing here in our ministry. We've got a potluck. We've got a dinner. You bring something along, and you can enjoy other people's foods. Bring uh, the kids along and uh, celebrate with us about what God is doing uh, in uh, our ministry. 
So, friends, you have no excuse. You cannot say, oh, I'm so lonely and nobody cares about me. Stop that self-pity party because it's wrong. You're lying to yourself, probably because of your fears. It's time to pray to God to help you to overcome those fears and get engaged. Take a step because I tell you, your self-pity party will lead nowhere. All right? So shake it out of you and ask Christ to give you the strength. That, oh, i got nobody to go with. Oh, nobody to go with. Come with me. Give me a call. I'll go with you. I'll sit with you. I'll find somebody to sit with you. Okay? Let's get engaged. All right. Enough of that. All right. Well, we move on here. And uh, let's see. Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. So, two hands full of toil and work and chasing after all these things is the way Americans live. It's like, I want more and more out of life. But better is a handful of quietness. And we are all, we are, we just are uh, so impacted by our culture. We're so busy, we got two hands full of toil and striving, and we need balance in our life. And the Word of God teaches about balance. It teaches about balance in Genesis chapter 1 when, G, when God uh, created the world. He took six days to work and one day to rest. Now you think after six days, God, whew, <laughs> I took a little too much on. <laughs> i gotta, I got to take a break. <laughs> oh, no. He was modeling for us the rhythms of life. And we're not good at rhythm. I keep talking about the daily office. That's a rhythm. It's like, let's slow down long enough to check in with God and to experience Christ and then move on with your life. That's a rhythm. So you do that daily and then you check in weekly where you take a whole day where you just slow down. And you have one day where you just really give it over to God. And remember Andy Griffith's show, right? You know? I mean, that, that was a life. Talk about, you know, just, I mean, it, was, it was problematic in many ways as well. It was still a sinful life. But they knew how to slow down. And you being here this morning, I commend you. I encourage you in that way that you have chosen to be here, to focus on God, to put your relationship with God first. You didn't feel like coming today. You were looking at the news and the ice weather. And, Is it going to come? You know, you, no, I'm going to be there. I don't care. It's too bad these winters have made us soft. You know, we see snow. <laughs> come on, guys. We are people of the Midwest. Uh, so all that to say is that uh, you've made it a priority. But you need to extend that and you just say, okay, I need to make more margin in my life. And, and I've got to you know, spend some time with God today. That's a way to... You know, they talk about the Sabbath in the Old Testament, the 24-hour period. Well, again, it started in creation, so it's nothing new. It's nothing just, you know, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's not just part of the Old Testament law that we no, need, no longer need to follow. No, it's something that carries over. Jesus Christ uh, celebrated the Sabbath. And, again, if he did it, well, you know, that's a good thing for us to do as well. But we've got to make more space in our life and to expand Sunday and have a time every Sunday when you spend time with God and where you maybe spend a longer daily office, a half hour or whatever. You do something, you enjoy a hobby or something like that, but you learn quietness. And, you know, I mean, we're just so out of balance. Uh, my wife's a piano teacher, and just talking to some of the parents, uh, she shares these stories with me about how they program these kids' lives. And uh, some people. Uh, they just have so many activities going. I don't know why. I don't know if it's out of guilt. I don't know if it's out of, you know, it's an American culture. You know, you got to give it give it all you got. These kids have to be successful, and therefore they need to be involved in all these activities uh, to the point of uh, just... <laughs> we're, we're teaching our kids to live the way we do. You're teaching your kids to be stressed out. Uh oh look at my life. Don't you want to live like me, all stressed out and overcome and overwhelmed with life? Well, I'm going to teach you early. I'm going to get your schedule booked up, and you'll be doing something every hour of the day, and you're going to be working hard at school. Let's just stop it. Let's just stop it. 
when I grew, yeah, I'm a little older, but when I grew up, man, you know, I we were just hanging out with friends in the neighborhood, and I don't, other than church, I don't remember being involved in a lot of other stuff. I mean, there were sports things going on, but not the extent that they are today. And I, I want to challenge you in this area. Uh, boy, I tell you, do not cheat your children spiritually. Because we get so busy, one of the things that goes is involvement in church. And, and I'm, so, I'm so, again, glad that you're here today. But my challenge for you uh, is to be here every week. Every week. And, uh, you know, somebody asked me, well, you know, can I take a week off or something like that? And I said, well, use the same uh, things that they talk about, the uh, same um, parameters they talk about school. How can you get out of school? All right? Why would you, you, you let your kids uh, take a day off of school? All right? Well, that's the same type of parameters you should use in relationship to church, not vacations and things of that nature, but... I, you know, friends, I'm talking about to some of you who it's just optional. It's twice a month. Twice a month. Come on now. That is not what God intends. And, and I tell you what, you might do it for yourself, but don't do it for your children. You're, you are making a decision for your children. Your children are so in, engulfed in this sinful culture, they need all the God that they can get. And we are here to be with them. I don't care if they want to come or not. Is that the way with school? Oh, I don't want to go to school. Oh, honey, I understand. It's stressful. You just stay home today. No. You bring them out. You talk to Pastor Justin. You talk to Beth Quick, who's leading our children's ministry, if your kids struggle with coming out. and Find out what their concerns are, and once you've done that, done everything, you make them come anyway. Because, friends, I'll tell you what. That is the most important investment you can make. Again, any other extracurricular activities, uh, in your life. We had somebody call this past week and they said, I want to pull somebody out of Wano because I don't have time to review verses with them. I'm thinking, what? What? What is the deal? What is the deal with you? Your life is out of control. If you cannot review verses with your child, and you're too busy. Friends, you know, we just have to get our kids out to Awana and jam and thrive and this is not legalistic. This is an investment in your children. I have three sons, 22, 20, and 17, and they have grown up in the church, and they have been here every time this church building opens. And again, they've missed and stuff like that, but I'm just trying to tell you, and my sons at this time are following the Lord, and that's just, that's just by the grace of God. I'll tell you that right now. There's nothing special about Warrior I. I mean, we're just seeking to do God and raise these children to know and love God. But I tell you what, you, you as a family, you as a community have built into my children and many other people who have gone to Springbrook before. And we're here for your kids. And I, I just speak about this so passionately because I see this movement and I hear about it so many times and it's, uh, it's very concerning to me. It's disconcerting. So, uh, just... Think about that and pray about that. I'd love to dialogue with you about that. Um, so. All right. Uh, we go on to verse uh, 7 and 8. Again, uh, I saw vanity under the sun, meaningless. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. What's he talking about here? He's talking about a workaholic. He's talking about a very greedy person, a person who says, I'm not satisfied with my riches. Uh, and it's interesting here, he says, one person who has no other son uh, or brother. This guy has no relatives. Now, back in that day, if you're going to justify the fact that you're working all the time, you're saying, well, I'm building up inheritance for the family. It's all about the family. It wasn't our individualistic society we have here in the U.S. It's all you know, family-oriented. So a person who's trying to rationalize his sin would say, oh, well, I'm doing it for the family. I'm doing it for the kids, all that kind of thing. Well, he says, he takes that out there. You can't use this excuse. This person is just all about riches, all about being greedy in every possible way. And, and I want to talk to you men especially uh, who are uh, workaholics. And uh, I'm a recovering uh, workaholic. When I graduated from uh, seminary, uh, I, uh, I had one thing in mind. And I had my beautiful wife, Lori, I had married. And then I moved on to the next project. 
and uh, that was starting a church. And uh, I had a man, I, I have the best reasons. I beat everybody else out. I'm doing it all for God. I'm doing it all for Jesus, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it was just covering. Uh, it was a veneer over ambition and pride. That's what it was. Because I wasn't going to make a lot of money. I knew that. <laughs> but I wanted to be the best church planner. I wanted to be the best pastor. I wanted people to respect me. And, and that was that was greedy. I had a greedy heart. And I'm a recovering workaholic, okay? So I'm still working on it. I, you know, those things are deep within you, and I continue to, God continues to teach me. But the point being is that I, I didn't care for my wife as I should. I didn't care for my kids as I should. And God really had to, you know, shake me up to help me to see what was going on in my life. And uh, I just want to speak to you men. You know who you are. You know who you are. You're rationalizing. You're telling your wife that these are all the reasons. Now, I understand this economic climate. Some of you are working three jobs just to make half of what you made before. So that's a different story. Okay, so you have to watch that. But for most men, you know, your identity is in your job. Your identity is not in Jesus Christ. And that's the real problem. You need to find your meaning in Christ, not in your job. But you're working and you're, you're justifying it and you're saying, hey, this is, uh, this is uh, the most important thing and uh, you're not listening to your wife nagging you, and you need to repent. You need to realize that you're working because you're envious, because you're greedy, because you're full of pride, and you feel that if you don't work hard enough, you're going to lose respect, you're not going to accomplish what you need to accomplish, you're not going to hit your numbers, you're not going to make the money that you need to, and it's your idol, and you worship at it. I've been there and occasionally go back. All right, guys? Don't let it happen. Again, come out for a men's breakfast. Talk with Pastor Richard, I, or Justin. Talk with somebody because it's so ingrained within us. I mean, our culture just feeds us, right? Your work is your identity. and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a long journey. But uh, hopefully you can, uh, you can uh, again, deal with that. With the Lord's help. We move on to verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Isn't that true? I mean, it's always better to do something with somebody else. I mean, it's marriage. I mean, again, there's all different types of marriages in terms of health, but when you have a healthy marriage, uh, it's a beautiful thing. I reflect upon my marriage uh, with Lori, far from perfect, as I just illustrated. Uh, but again, as I reflect upon those years of raising our kids and uh, doing life together, two are so much better than one. And it's, it's worth working through the pain. If your marriage is in distress right now, it's worth working through it. And we will do everything we can here at Springbrook. We provide counseling grants. And we have a couple small groups. And don't give up on your marriage, okay? Because two are better than one. And we'll, we'll move on to verse 10. Uh, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Interesting, huh? And it goes on to say, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So let's look at these. If a person falls... If they have someone there, they have someone to pick them up. I was reading a story uh, about the London Marathon last year. 37,000 people uh, ran in it, and the winner uh, was a man, a man named Wilson Yipsing from Kenya, two hours and two minutes. Unbelievable. There's another guy named Simon Clark, and Simon Clark, uh, finished in six and a half hours. He had epilepsy. And he had a trainer that ran with him. And he would typically have four seizures a day. So if he had a seizure, the trainer would help him through that seizure, and then he'd get up and keep running. Amazing, huh? <laughs> well, on the day of the race, what happened was is that he started out, and in the eighth mile he had a seizure. 
waited for that. Then from the 8th to, I believe, the 19th mile, he had 18 seizures. It's like one, more than one seizure a mile. So he'd have a seizure, and they'd wait, and he'd get back up again. And why could he do that? Because he had somebody there, right? When he fell. And here's a question for all of us, is who is there when we fall? Who is there when we have a major disappointment in our life? Who is there when we have a health crisis? Who is there when our marriage is going through a difficult season? Who is there when we lose a loved one? Who is there when we fall in our sin? Who is there when we fall? Who do you have in your life that can be there to support and encourage you? Then it goes on to say, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now we're thinking, oh, it must be the marriage bed. It's such a sexualized culture. <laughs> now, it should be talking about travelers. They're traveling alone. And really, this, the whole context of this passage is really talking about traveling. I mean, if you fall, they'll pick you up. Uh, you have these people traveling, and if you, um, uh, if you, when you lay down at night, because it was cold in Palestine at night, so what they would do is they would get together closely, and people will do this if they're cold enough, right? Uh, found in a strange situation, and they, they each had blankets, and they'd wrap themselves in these blankets, and they'd experience that emotional warmth. And the third one is, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's talking about a, a thief coming to rob you. And therefore, if you have two people, that's great. If you have a three people, well, you can take that guy on, right? So how does this apply to our lives? Well, the whole point is, is that we need friends. We need to be doing life with other people. We need to be connected to other people in order to withstand the challenges that we have when we fall, when we're, we're cold, uh, when, <clears throat> you know, we come up against someone who's trying uh, to hurt us. And again, uh, small groups here at Springbrook are the best way that I can recommend that you find these relationships. And I know some of you are saying, yeah, I tried small groups and I didn't like the people. I didn't like the study. It wasn't deep enough. And I'll, I'll, hey, it's not a panacea, but it's a starting place. And we're, again, starting another trimester here. In fact, you'll find uh, in your program an uh, insert uh, that speaks about uh, getting involved uh, in small groups. And, boy, I just want to encourage you, if you're not involved in a small group, get involved in one this winter. Try it out. Talk to Pastor Rich or whoever at the small group center back there and say, what, what kind of groups do you have uh, for me? Because you see, as you cultivate relationships uh, within a small group, it's such a beautiful thing because when uh, you fall, they're going to be there for you. I could go on and on about stories of small groups bringing meals and just being really the, the whole support system. This, this whole part of American culture. How many of you have moved to this area uh, in the last five years? Oh, raise your hand high. Okay. Quite a few people here. How many have moved in the last ten years? Raise your hand. Keep raising your hand if you've been in the last five years. So anybody who's moved here in the last ten years. Okay. You know, I was talking with somebody recently, and they told me that they have moved two and a half years, every two and a half years. And they've been here for maybe, I think, three years. Well, you know, you've heard stories about what that's like, right? I mean, you move to a new area. Let's say your your company keeps moving you around, and, and you go to the next area. You don't want to create relationships, right? Because who wants to go through that kind of pain, right? But you've got to keep after it, right? You've got to keep after it. And that's a beautiful thing about a church is somebody can move here from Washington, and uh, they can come into this church, and uh, if they're proactive, uh, and if they're they really... Uh, work and getting involved in these different things, you know, uh, within a short period of time, they can at least have some relationships. Uh, again, over time, it takes time to build relationships. But again, your best investment is a small 
that's not deep enough for me. Well, then just go for the fellowship or start your own group. You know, if you think that nobody's deep enough for you, well, you must be pretty deep. So go to Richard and say, listen, I want to teach the deep small group here at Springbrook. And we'll talk to you and find out, you know, about your history and those kind of things. And maybe you'll say, okay, or we'll team you up with somebody. Now, if you have an excuse about why you cannot be involved in a small group, please let us know. I know many times work, and that's understandable, but all I'm saying is take the initiative. So many of you are struggling unnecessarily because you're not doing life with other people. And I know you have a hundred reasons why you can't do it, and I can give you my reasons why I can't do it. But they're not good enough. Because God says life is to be done together. You need someone there when you fall. You need someone there when you fall. You need someone there to, to stay warm. I, on my day off, you know, uh, you know, when you give out a, a lot as a pastor and uh, a lot of energy throughout the week and you know, sometimes on my day off and I'm driving around doing errands and uh, I'll just call certain people, you know, my brother and other people I've known for a long time, just just to feel their emotional warmth. I have nothing really to talk about. You know, we catch up, but just to hear their voice. And that just ministers to me. And friends, when you have friends like that, we, we need that. Life is challenging. Life is difficult. And you need to have people who really do care about you. And when you are under spiritual attack, when Satan has taken you down, and you've got a major crisis going on in your life, and, and you're wondering if God cares about you at all, you need somebody to talk to. You need somebody to listen to you. And I don't know what it looks like for you, but all I'm asking you to do is to engage. Engage if you're lonely. Engage if you don't feel like you have that type of support. And again, talk to uh, somebody who you think can help you with this, to take the initiative. Uh, talk with uh, pastors. Uh, you know, my, my, my goal, my desire for all of you is that you would have one spiritual friend. And usually they, they, they come out of some ministry involved, and that's another great way to get to know people, or they come out of a small group. Talk to somebody and say, listen, I'm struggling. Can you help me? And uh, again, it will. Now, what I want to do here is we want to have a prayer time. And uh, I know maybe a lot of things have been going through your head. I just want you to, I just want us all to bow our heads in prayer. We're going to have some music playing. And just think about the message. Reflect on the scripture and say, okay, God, what, what are you trying to say to me? What, what do I need to take away from this time? What are you uh, asking me to do? And also, we want you to come forward or go backward <laughs> in regards, because we're going to be up here praying. We have a prayer team. We do this once a month because we believe so strongly in prayer, and we want to minister to you. And we just want you to come forward at this time, okay? And uh, we want to pray for you. Uh, we have a prayer team come up. You can go to the back or to the front. We just want to intercede for you.
Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for the family that you've given us here at Springbrook. Thank you that you're the head of this church and we're just all humble servants seeking to do your will oh so imperfectly. Uh, Lord, I, I just pray for my friends here. What I want more than anything is for them to have close connections. Just with maybe a couple people, start on a small group or wherever you lead them. That they would have those people when they fall, when they need that emotional warmth, they're fighting Satan and what he's trying to do to them. I pray that through our ministry together, that they would find those relationships that will sustain them. I want to thank you, Lord. I have been so blessed throughout my life with so many people who've carried me, who've counseled me, who've helped me to grow, who've helped me to overcome sin, who've given insights that I could never have on my own. That's the way you wanted it. I know you'll continue to bring those people into my life as long as I continue to remain open and continue to listen. I pray that would be the spirit of everyone here. In Christ's name, amen.